0: I'm so glad you've made it to East City Wesleyan's podcast uh, page. Uh, My name's Brett Jones. I'm the lead pastor here at East City Wesleyan. Uh, If you would like to find out anything more about uh, who we are and uh, how we're trying to learn to grow closer to God and serve our community, uh, you'd be welcome to get in touch with us at the contact details on the page. Uh, We'd love to hear from you and, and see how we can serve you.
1: orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Dear friends, do not be surprised that the fiery ordeal has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, you should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. If it begins with us, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to to do good thank you john
0: you know i think it's dairy farmers and pastors who have a problem with uh, daylight saving Um, i also have a problem with some verses in scripture Um, there there are basically some verses in scripture that i i wish weren't there I don't know if you've come across any of these. Uh, uh, Matthew 5, has one of them. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I have the right to be right, surely. And they have the right to be wrong and for me to tell them so, surely. Or this one from Matthew 16, 34. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I've got to say, self-denial and cross-carrying are the least attractive um, add-ons, the least attractive parts of following Jesus, for me anyway. Or this one from our reading today. However, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. It's hard to think that Peter is actually serious here or or credible, as if being persecuted should be like some kind of muse for writing worship songs. That's the inspiration for it. It's times like this I kind of wonder, is there another option? It's times like this I wonder, How is it that I let Joey decide who would be preaching which weeks in this series? You notice last week, he was jet-lagged. He had every reason to not preach about exile priests. That's a lot cooler than suffering for being a Christian, but you can see why he did that. Is there a warranty that I can kind of cash in on this, that we can cash in on this? Is there another choice? another way of of thinking about faith. What Peter is urgent in telling us is no, no. There isn't another choice, At, at least not a choice that is faithful to the Jesus who suffered for us. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this is one of those passages that we might want to pray you would just fly over the top, we might not have to deal with it and process it and allow it to take root in our lives. But we've already prayed this morning that we would allow you to work in us and so we continue to hold on to that, that you would work in us, that you would work even these hard verses into the soil of our lives, that something would take root and grow because we've been here together today. We pray it in the name. Of Jesus. Amen. Well, the context of this passage I think helps us a little bit. Because the context for Peter's first listeners and readers was extreme. It was an extreme context. This was no ordinary kind of suffering uh, that was being described. But I wonder if you notice that it comes in verse 12 with this reference to dear friends. So Peter's bringing a really hard truth here, but he prefaces it with, dear friends, it's like he's playing good cop, bad cop in the same sentence. He wants you to know that this comes from a place of love, that this comes from a place of, of deep care for the people uh, that he's writing to. So he says, dear friends, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange is happening. As though something strange is happening. And this fiery ideal, fiery ordeal, is, is more than a metaphor here. Because Rome has become a very dangerous place for Christians. The, the Emperor, Emperor Nero was making an example of Christians in Rome. A a terrible fire burned in Rome for for about eight days uh, in 64 AD. And the estates of Nero uh, within the city were not as densely packed together as some of the less uh, wealthy areas. And so his part of the city remained largely unscathed. And so people began to talk. Maybe Nero uh, was behind this in some way. And so he needed, he needed scapegoats. He needed someone to blame, and so he quickly began persecuting Christians in Rome. Now, while this policy that's playing out in Rome does not affect the provinces in Asia to which Peter is writing, um, this kind of imperial precedent at the heart of the empire um, offers incentive, (laughs) offers an implicit uh, permission to act in the same way out in the provinces, and so word spread, spread quickly that this was happening, raising the expectation of persecution elsewhere. And let's understand what was going on here. Nero was burning Christians alive. So Peter says this is a fiery ordeal. He's not taking it lightly. This is a a serious moment in the history of the church. In fact, the the historian Tacitus' um, description of the execution suggests that as many as a few thousand Christians were killed in this period of persecution in Rome itself. Now, locally, in the provinces of Asia, it's not yet at this point, but there was this separation emerging, which we find in verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. So in other words, the pagans, um, in our time we use the word pagan to mean someone who's essentially irreligious. You're a pagan if you have no religion. But pagan religions are actually a form of religion. So it's not just saying they're religious people, people of different religions in the the parts of Asia that they're referring to. Uh, Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, Orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Verse four, this is the interesting bit. They are surprised. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. So Peter's saying, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Christians, don't be surprised that it's hard. And yet the pagans are surprised that the Christians are not joining in. Uh, With their activities, many of of which are a part of how they do religious practice, believe it or not. That's another whole story. And so there is this social dislocation that's happening as these formerly pagan Christians who've, who've converted to Christianity are moving away from the cultural practices around them. So they stop getting drunk. They stop sleeping around. They stop going to the local temples and worshiping the local deities, and it's surprising to their friends and neighbors. It didn't go unnoticed. It's a shock to them, and they get called out for it. The Christians get called out for it, because it seems strange to those who are around them. Now, none of what Peter describes um, is common suffering make a distinction, the common suffering, the suffering that comes to us all, whether health or financial stress or relationship challenges, the loss of loved ones, any of these kinds of common forms of suffering, this is suffering that is specifically due to their faithful following of Christ. It's that kind of suffering. So thinking, how, how might that play out for us? You know, Not looking the other way at work when, when there is pressure to do so, to do something a bit off. Or, or holding back you know, on gossip, when, when the gossip train is at full steam and people are trying to draw you into that, that world. Or, or maybe resisting the temptation just to fit in by doing what everybody else is doing. Or, or maybe choosing to act ethically under pressure uh, when, when others are looking for you to fudge things. Or maybe sharing your story of Jesus with others. And Peter is saying, don't be surprised when it gets hard. In fact, be surprised if it's not hard is almost a way of reading this. Are you surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you? Or are you surprised that Peter is making such a big deal about history, which isn't a part of our reality? It's kind of easy. This is the flip side of where we started in week one with be holy because I am holy. This is, this is suffering in the same way that Jesus suffered. And the only way to avoid it, the only way to avoid this kind of suffering is to move from the soft difference place that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where we are highly distinctive in the way we live and highly connected to our society, is to move from that place Into places of low difference, where where, where there's no difference, and low proximity. So where does this land for you? As you think about the fiery ordeal, where does this land for you? Take a moment to catch what the Spirit is revealing to you. Take a moment. So Peter wants us to understand that this is not only not strange, this kind of ordeal, this kind of suffering, but also something that points to a deep part of our identity. A deep part of our identity that we share with Christ. Um, In verse uh, 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's a a participation with Christ. This is is something often uh, skated over, that you and I are participating in the sufferings of Christ. It's an important part of our identity. And more than just a participation in Jesus' suffering, Actually, something else happens in these moments. The spirit is released in us when these moments occur. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Hate that verse. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Think about that for a minute insult, it's blessing because the Spirit rests on you in that moment. See, something very specific can happen in these moments as the Spirit interacts with us and the people around us. There is the blessing of God's Spirit. So we know that He is with us. We're not alone in these moments. But it's specifically referred to as the Spirit of glory, And whenever we see the spirit of glory or the idea of God's glory, it's God himself is being revealed in those moments. So the spirit that points to God's glory is being revealed in us. I think this is in the same vein as as 1 Peter 3, uh, which says this, Uh, you'll, you'll recognize the verse when it comes. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That even in this moment, something can be revealed. But it matters how we react. It matters that we have a response that points to our hope. It matters that we do so with respect and with gentleness. Our responses can actually impact a person, even one who is speaking against us. This is the soft difference at work. High relationship, high difference. Grace and truth at work in our lives. Peter's keen that we get why there is this silver lining to suffering that helps us to embrace it rather than to push it away. It's a, re- a refining of character, if you like, and that's, that's really in view in the, in the use of these words for fiery ordeal because it captures the idea of the refining of a pre- precious metal, the refining of gold, the heating of the ore to remove impurities. And here lies the tension, I think, for us. Because most of us don't like it when the heat goes on. Most of us don't like it. Because human beings are excellent suffering managers. We're excellent suffering managers or comfort managers. You decide how you want to frame it. We will generally do whatever we can to avoid pain. It's just how we are. Now, I have, a, I have a love-hate relationship with exercise. You can normally tell whether it's on the love side or the hate side, depending on yeah, how tight the clothing is. Some days it's genuinely a hate-hate relationship that I have with exercise. And I know that I will enjoy it so much more than I fear when I get there and I know that I will benefit from it and I that I will be shaped in a good way, physically and, and mentally and spiritually, actually, by enduring some short-term pain. No pain, no gain. There's that other verse in the Bible, the body is evil, it must be punished. No, hang on, that's not, that's not, the, no. Sorry, get confused. But even so, even though I know all of these things, I will avoid it if I can find a sufficiently uh, good excuse. But it turns out that I also have a love-hate relationship with dying young. More of a hate-hate, that one. That's like a clear cut. But because I'm a weak human, often, it's not until the pain of going to the gym is exceeded by the pain of the physical and mental deterioration that I actually go. See, there's a tipping point for all of us as we manage our pain and manage our comfort. And that tipping point for all of us is when the alternative vision we have for our lives leads us away from our comfort management. When that vision, that alternative vision for our lives is so compelling that it leads us away from our suffering management, our Sin management. And Peter urges us to have a different vision for our lives. A vision of life lived for Jesus that even in suffering for Jesus we discover that God is with us and cares for us. That God is preparing and training us with discipline. That, that God will vindicate us. That we'll be, we, in a sense, honored That our suffering is actually Christ's suffering. That our response to suffering can be a powerful witness to others. This is the exile choice. This is the exile choice. Allowing this kind of suffering to actually define us rather than to diminish us. I went to the gym yesterday solely so I could preach this message with a straight face. (laughs) Just in case we aren't getting it, this is where Peter pulls his good cop, bad cop routine. He makes it really clear for us in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. You thought that first verse I read was bad. Now we're really getting down to it. It's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? If you're reading in your Bibles, you'll see that that last bit is in in, uh, inverted commas. It's a quote. Because Peter is making his case from Proverbs eleven thirty one, which is a part of a series of proverbs that are basically a "what you what you sow is what you reap" kind of proverbs. In a very unsubtle way, Peter is saying, "If our faith is fake, then don't be surprised if that has a consequence." That's what he's saying. But his conclusion. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should do two things. Should commit themselves to their faithful creator. And secondly, continue to do good. To commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And our suffering can lead us in the opposite direction, towards a, a no-difference posture. It's a, it's a keep-your-head-down uh, kind of tactic. Or it can lead us um, to the indifference. We'll have the next slide, to the, to the indifference uh, posture. So we can be in the no-difference posture, high relationship, but low difference. Or this is from two weeks ago, for those of you who are looking at going, why did we suddenly come, come into a maths lesson? Uh, or we can be low difference and low relationship in the bottom left-hand corner, the indifference. The no-difference posture, it's a keep your voice down. The indifference posture, it's keep your head down. Better to withdraw from engagement rather than being outed as a Christian. Peter calls us in the opposite direction. Commit uh, ourselves to God and continue to do good. Continue to live our faith out in the open. Out in the open. For those of you that, people at work don't know that you're a Christian, honestly, it's, it's so freeing to finally let the cat out of the bag, the secret out, so freeing. You'll be amazed at what God can do. This past week, I received an email from a woman, Seema. She's one of the uh, international board members of the Wesleyan Church who I serve with, um, As part of my role, I'm president of the South Pacific Conference, and so we meet together. Seema's from India, and she wrote this email this week. Just dropped in to ask your earnest prayer for our country. For the upcoming elections, pray for the state of Manipur. Still, people are not free. They live in constant fear. Pray for our state, Gujarat. Pray for the persecuted people that they may not lose faith also, we all are aware that the swell is in many parts of the world, which calls for prayer. Also, pray that we may still grow in the midst of difficult time too. We shall look forward for God can change any situation, according to Isaiah forty-one eighteen to nineteen. The situation in Manipur is extreme. Go and look it up. I, it's extreme ethnically oriented violence between Hindu and Christian groups. It's chilling what's happening there. One report quotes a recently widowed woman. To see how my daughter was treated after my husband and son were killed, it made me want to die. My husband was a church elder. He was soft-spoken and kind. His arms were slashed with knives. My son was in the 12th grade, a gentle boy who never fought with anyone. He was brutally beaten with rods. Part of an ongoing pattern of violence against Christians in India, which has led to many churches being burned down, pastors imprisoned, and many, many have died. And what does Seema do? She writes to ask for prayer. She continues to commit herself to God and to do good. And she believes that the words of Isaiah 41 might come to pass in her country. These are some beautiful words. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Can you even imagine praying that in the situation that she finds herself in? Dear friends, it's time to stop playing at church. This is not play church. It's not who we're called to be. We're called to be so much more than we are. It's time to own our identity as exiles. As Joey said last week, as exile priests, people who point to this future that God has for people, this glorious future that he has for people. What it looks like when a life is fully surrendered, a human life is fully surrendered to Jesus, that's what we get to point out, to invite people into, to make our choice, our exile choice for this exile glory, which always points to who God is and what he wants people to enjoy and experience I told you at the beginning how I wish we didn't have these kinds of verses to process. See, I I wouldn't mind being a no-difference preacher or an indifferent preacher. It's more comfortable. And who is Peter to tell us how to live? Well, he's a guy who made a mistake. He's a guy who made a big mistake. He's the guy that lived the no difference, indifference posture at the crucifixion. Remember? It's that Peter. The one who denied Christ in his hour of of greatest need. Who withdrew and denied his call to be different. And he did it to save his own life. So he knows He knows. He knows what that choice feels like. And he knows what it's like on the other side. One of the most beautiful stories in scripture is when Jesus restores Peter. He restores him. And again and again and again, he says to Peter, love my sheep, feed my sheep. The heart of this restoration that God offers all of us is this call to love and to feed and to protect and to draw people to the great shepherd. Feed my sheep, love my sheep. And Peter, who watched other Christians be turned into human tortures by Nero, knew what was coming for him, even as he wrote these words. In the end, he was crucified, and so must we. Let's pray. Holy God would you show us your way would you reveal to us your way would you reveal to us that that path of suffering and blessing that you call us to we live with one foot in the blessing of your presence and the promise of, promises of your word and with the other foot in, foot in the sufferings of Christ. Would you lead us down that path? Holy Spirit, we, we don't have this in us without your grace. Without your mercy, without your power. And so, would you fill us, cleanse us, move us, reveal yourself to us? We have no other choice but to throw ourselves on your mercy. Would just shape us and reshape us more and more into the image of your son, that we might live as a faithful difference in our world, calling people to you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we continue in our worship, we're gonna take the opportunity to, to re-enter if you like, the desert moments that are a part of our exile. And so we have these sandboxes on either side that, that are a part of our, our desert. And I want to invite you to reflect on it in a couple of different ways. Because without the water of the Holy Spirit, that's what my heart is like, and maybe yours as well. Dry, not producing anything. And so I invite you to come and own your own desert if that's where you need to be and to ask as Sima prayed in Isaiah 41 that the desert would be, uh, would be uh, pools of water, parched springs you know, would, would rise up but the ground would be refreshed. And if that's where, you, if that's where your heart is and you need that, please come. It's, an, it's a moment of confession, it's a moment of repentance but it's also a moment of coming to the God who knows you and me. And that we can't do this on our own. Maybe you would also like to come and pray for our nation. Because there's a desert. There's a desert that, that we live in. We're exiles in that place. Maybe you want to come and pray for the nation. That, that God would turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. And maybe also you would like to just come and pray with Seema for the persecuted church who really are undergoing a fiery ordeal. And it's happening in other places around the world as well. So why don't we stand together. We're going to continue in worship. The altar is open to respond uh, here on each side and And if you need to just come for prayer, then come.